Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 49 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show brought to you by the Change Your POV Podcast Network. Today, I'm talking with Air Force veteran and marriage and family therapist, Reg McCutcheon. Reg and I have been talking for a while, and each of us support veterans in our local communities as both veterans and mental health professionals. Much of Reg's focus is how the service member's family can impact and support veteran mental health and act as a first responder in a veteran's life. We are their best asset because we're the front line for them. We're their front line when they come back. And in truth, you know, we teach these young men and women to go over and be willing to die for anything. But how do we bring them home and teach them to live for everything else? That's my greatest question. And that falls back right on us, you, me, and our families and our communities, to teach them what other relationships are about, that they can trust us and be there. We'll be there for them. And at whatever capacity they plug in, we have to be ready to start, be ready to lift them up and get them engaged rightly, but not with a bottle or alcohol and alcohol and drugs. And that's where we have to be very careful because they'll turn to that or turn to some escape mechanism soon. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veterans, service members, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Headspace and Timing, a podcast where we're trying to change the way that you think about veteran mental health. Um, As you know that uh, we really appreciate you coming here and, and listening to us and taking the time to understand more about how you can learn about veteran mental health, about how you can support veterans in their post-military lives. Uh, we have another interview guest here today, um, and uh, like me, uh, this, uh, this guest is a military veteran uh, and a mental health professional. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting, again, as we always try to give uh, sort of some idea about the different aspects of, of what mental health professionals can provide to veterans. And uh, since there are few uh, mental health professionals who are also veterans in the field, uh, I'd like to be able to highlight those. So my guest today is uh, Reg McCutcheon. Reg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dwayne, for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. We've been... Uh, We've been trying this kind of off and on, um, but uh, I'm glad we were able to to kind of make it happen. So um, I I guess I'd like to get started with uh, you talking a little bit about your military career and telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, 34-year veteran, started out enlisted in 1980, um, you know, fresh out of high school, green as a grass, and the pickle suits we wore then. And... um, you know, uh, realized uh, not too long into that, a couple, three years later, that uh, uh, O's made a little more money than the E's and, uh, um, you know, was taking my classes and decided uh, I would try for a commissioning program. I got lucky uh, and uh, at any rate, got accepted uh, and, you know, went to the officer corps and did space and missile programs for many, many years and 
and then retired in 14 after a tour in Afghanistan, and uh, it opened my eyes. And I uh, have to say it was an enlightening experience at 49 or 50 going to Afghanistan, seeing a lot of kids with some struggles and some things. And some of these guys had been on their you know, second and third tour. I just recognized some struggles. Now, again, space and missile guy looking at this and recognizes the problem why it really changed the vector for me, really forced me to get a different point of view to use, use your, your words. So I, uh, I, as soon as I got back, I started working on my master's degree in, in uh, therapy, marriage and family therapy, and uh, really felt like I, I had to help, had to make a difference because I, I just couldn't let it lay there because I saw the family suffering too. Yeah, so, and, I mean, uh, and that's, uh, it, and, and it does take a shift, uh, like I did. You were not a mental health professional no. uh, when you were in the military. I mean, there are some basic leadership aspects, of course, um, you know, me being enlisted and you uh, as an officer that we take care of the troops and, and everything like sure. that. But what was that shift from, from really a, a specific, very specialized in, industry uh, in the military um, to the mental health profession? Well, you know, for me, it was, I mean, get, getting an education was just paramount because, you know, you have, you really need to be qualified to do this level of stuff. Uh, you know, if you're going to really want to make great changes and try and be therapeutic, you really need the education. Let me say that because there's some things in there that, that we learn and, and you know, this, that, that, you know, you don't want to try this at home stuff. And, uh, uh, so, cause you could really hurt somebody if you're not careful too. And, uh, you know, confidentiality and, you know, just techniques and stuff, you really have some, you need to, need to be trained to do it. And, uh, that was why I did it. But, you know, when I retired, you know, the decision was that I wanted to help people for free. I didn't want to be an issue of somebody having money or not, but that was my choice. And not everybody's the same. I wasn't looking for a reason to go find work. I already had work and I knew it was there. And, uh, that's, was kind of my motive. I wasn't looking to get paid. I was looking to help and make a difference where I could and, uh, hopefully build something, you know, that we could, we could get more people involved in that, uh, uh, for different things. And those that could give an hour in, in those programs or those could, we could work that connection side to, to get support for vets and their families. So, and, and you kind of briefly touched on this and, and way back in episode one, I kind of broke it down, uh, for our listeners about the different types of master's level, mental health professionals. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I am a licensed professional counselor, um, and you are a licensed marriage and family therapist, which are, and again, the third one, um, licensed clinical social worker, uh, but they each have sort of their different focus. Um, why, why did you choose marriage and family therapy over, um, sort of my focus as an individual? Well, it's just because I really believe it was a family issue. It's a systemic challenge that we face. <clears throat> and it was really something that really met, uh, re really followed my thinking. Not that other programs don't think that, you know, LPC logic is, you know, we're dealing with individuals, social workers, you know, the system, you know, we got, we got to connect people differently. But not to they also have, let me rephrase that, they have a, you know, they have a clinical side too, but typically they're working some of the, the care and feeding issues with marriage and family therapists. As much as I start with one, I work with the whole family, and I know you can too, but it's really kind of the way we're taught. We're taught just a little differently in the system logic that we, you know, that there's a there's a family of origin, there's a connection process, and as you know, you use post-traumatic stress as an example, you know, parent coming back from uh, combat, it has an effect on the family because the kids experience, even the dog and even grandparents experience it to some level. Uh, so you just have to know that there's second and third order effects that have to, that occur in there. <clears throat> and I'm sure you can handle as many others can. I don't want to take away those things. It's just, you know, it just kind of fit into my modeling design. Well, and, and, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's different aspects of the same problem and, sure. uh, or, or the same, yeah, whether the problem, but it's just the same condition. Um, right. you know, and, uh, and I've often, or I've heard it said before, whereas, um, for me, my focus is on the individual, as you said, the client. Um, but for marriage and family therapists, the relationship is the client. Would, would that be accurate? Uh, yes. Uh, I think that's a good way to say it. You know, the relationship is the client. Everything's connected. You know, I'm connected to the chair I'm sitting in and the chair's connected to the floor. That's a really simplistic approach. But without the chair, I'm on the floor. 
So, you know, so there's a relationship dynamic in there between mom, dad's kids and, and dad and kids and mom and kids and, and so on. And it's, it's, it's pretty interwoven. So there's a, there's a connectedness in there that we just have to learn. And a lot of times, Dwayne, what I deal with most is expectation management and communication issues. And usually when we start working with those and we start getting to the root of many, many challenges, uh, roles reversal, you know, kind of out of, out, out of, out of a combat zone, mom's been handling the bills, assuming dad's been the one that deployed and, you know, mom's been handling the bills and the kids and then dad gets, comes back and he wants to assume some of those roles he had before. And usually this little type of war happen and they don't talk about the expectations. So we try and deal with those in that way. And then the kids have the same challenge. They, they don't know who's who in the zoo or who's up next. And they're just, everybody's just trying to find an equilibrium that they've now had new habits to, to overcome. Again, expectation management, and it's just having honest conversations. And sometimes that's a very simplistic approach, but I think you get what I mean. Sure, exactly. And I, and I think it's always helpful to kind of, um, you know, separate that out, you know, because everybody, you know, they call you doc, they call me doc. And, you know, and, <laughs> and it's not really, you know, it's, it's much more nuanced than that, of course, you know, the PhD level psychologists and PsyD and right. the research. And, and so sure. where everybody think a, a shrink is a shrink is a shrink. Um, I think it's important to be able to identify, well, you know, it's really maybe the difference between the, um, the oncologist and the ear, nose and throat specialist, right? I mean, it's in, and so you don't go, you know, you don't just say a doc is a doc. And so if you need an orthopedist, you you don't just go to the podiatrist, you, you find somebody that that addresses what your concern is. And I think that's one thing that we're not doing whether the mental health professional, I don't know how we do it or or not, but but we don't we don't have the ability to make that that distinction very much, and I a lot of veterans I know don't really know that. Right, right. No, that they, they don't, and you know, and, and there's good reason to the check into each each field specifically, and even ask questions of, of folks because you're not I'm EMDR trained, and that's an individual thing, and you know that that I that I can work with. Not every I mean, not every client's married that I have. So, is there a family issue in those? No, but you know, there's a connection process. It's just people coming through the door and, and you make them. But uh, again, I, I I think that you know, each therapist stands on his own or counselor stands on their own merits and their skill set because that's where we're ultimately challenged to stay in our core skill set. When we get outside of those, it gets a little hairy and it's a little dangerous for us. So we just just in the mindful process. I wouldn't practice EMDR without training. Uh, uh, so that's kind of the best way to look at that. You just kind of stay in your skill set. Uh, nor would I practice oncology without the training either. So, you know, yeah. You know, and, and something that you had brought up even even earlier that, uh, that struck me was that uh, you recognize that um, this is such important work that I can't do it without training oh. and education. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure that you've heard it and I've heard it. A lot of people are talking about veteran mental health that don't have clinical training, right? You know, it's sort of like, well, oh. I have a brain and I use my brain, so I should know about the brain. I mean, and I don't mean to be dismissive to anyone, but I've actually no. heard people um, proud of the fact that that they have the lived experience, but they're not, I don't have a license. I don't need a license to talk to you <laughs> about psychology. And, and so the lived experience that you and I have, the military experience that you and I have, combined mm-hmm. with the clinical training we receive, um, supports each other exponentially. It's absolutely. It, it's different. It's someone who has all experience and no clinical training cannot be effective. Neither can someone with all the clinical training and not the cultural competence or experience. That's exactly right. That's absolutely right. And you know, Dwayne, our experiences only inform our ability to be therapists. And that's what we have to look at. It's an informed space. It doesn't make us experts. It just informs our understanding of how therapeutic approach works and it allows us to have a therapeutic plan with meaning. And, you know, it's really difficult to apply some of those logics without a little background. Uh, so with that being said, you know, we have folks out there that are amazing peer mentors or amazing just, you know, just encouraging folks, lifting them up, doing, you know, doing some coaching things. And that's awesome. We need that. 
But sometimes when it gets a little, when it gets a little difficult, and we're dealing with you know the emotional and the and the psychological issues, and 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 you know we're mandated reporters. We're trained to look for key things, you know, regarding suicide, risk to others, et cetera. That if we're not on top of that, you know, then you miss it. And then, you know, you just got to know when to, you know, take your hand off the wheel. No, it's not your wheel. Uh, you know that you you need to get some help and not trying to do that because. You'll be over your head real fast, and you'll say some things you regret because you're not informed enough by, you know, by the therapeutic approach to say these are the cues you're looking for. I mean, you spent the time in training like I did, and you know, you really have to have some insight on on, on what what all that's about. And if, if you haven't, why you're, you're putting yourself and and other people at risk. Yeah, I, I kind of, um, you know, I don't go to the mechanic and say, hey, since I drive this car, I can fix whatever the problem is, right? You know, I, because I'm aware that, you know, I, right. there are limitations to what I can do and what I can't do. Um, and, right. you know, yeah, I can, you know, maybe change the brakes and, and do this and that. But when it gets to a certain level of technical skill that I acknowledge that I don't have, I don't try to to, you know, um, I don't try to be something that I'm not. And that's what I'm that's seeing right. a lot in, in, in the community, especially around veteran mental health. And, and I don't wonder if that's because, you know, we're trying to get the word out so much and get veterans, um, you know, to talk and to reach out, but then maybe the resources aren't always there. And so people feel they have to step into the gap. Well, and, you know, and that, that's where, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, that's where families come in, in my mind, and, and our connections and, and our tribe. I mean, I, I, I love Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe. Uh, we're a tribe, and we have connections that we can always lean into, uh, you know, because I know I could call you, Dwayne, and say, hey, I'm having a challenge, and I could speak our language to each other, and I know that I would get some honest feedback. Because that's our military way. Now we're not going to be able to call our banker and have that same conversation, but we can have it within our military or veteran tribe. So, but that's where families come in, and we get an opportunity to lean on our families. But we have to build into those relationships like we do anything else to be able to have those tough conversations and say, "Hey, I'm having trouble," or you know, that expectation management stuff uh, and and good communication skills, which is really what we end up spending a lot of time on, but. But that's also a resiliency issue and how we're preparing families for this next season of, of what's coming, what's going on. And, yeah, so uh, it, we're, we're almost at the stage where we're in a pig and a python with uh, our veterans and mental health issues because they're just not enough to go around. And on the inverse side of that, there's a lot of, you know, young kids coming out of college, got their bachelor's degree, went straight into the master's program. They have an LPC, MSW, LP, or MFT. And they're going in and going to work for the VA or going to work for somebody else. And they really, you know, they don't have some of those skills. So often, I know I'm going a little off the reservation with this, but you know, sometimes we have challenges out there that are, are, are very deep and inexperienced. And they're trying to follow a, a, a way that they don't understand. And they really can't even communicate with a vet on the very basic level. So where do we end up? in the same spot we're in because they can't get the help. And, you know, um, they're not getting the help any because there's not as many people informed about the, the process or informed about the, what they're going through. And, and that becomes a whole other problem. And again, I mean, and that is, uh, like you said, that's part of the systems. And I like that idea of the family coming to stand in the gap. Um, yeah. But when it comes to... Um, when it comes to veteran mental health, maybe that's a little bit more touchy, of course, that the family may not approach. Now, um, right. uh, there have been times, of course, uh, you know, me being a guy and don't go to the doctor. My wife will step in and say, you know, hey, I made you the doctor's appointment because, you know, you cranked your ankle a week ago and it's still orange, or, you know, whatever. Right. But or, Absolutely. you know, you've been hacking up a lung for the last week, I, you know. And so, <laughs> you, you know, shut up, big guy and go to the doctor. And so, right. yes, there is that where, you know, a, a family member will step in and do that. But but it's a little bit more touchy when it comes to uh, mental health concerns. Um, maybe there's a safety concern or, you know, I don't want to approach them because I might make it worse. There's there's not as much education for the families around how to approach or have a conversation with 
their uh, their loved one about you know how about you get some help um, that's right and 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 I can't help but think that's a community education issue absolutely it, it absolutely it's it is such a you know you nailed it right there it's community it's it's you know our our ability to you know to to develop our communities and do and and you know get a and build our capacity is is you know that's probably the number one thing I spend a lot of time on and I, I do a lot of lectures to I say lectures presentations to you know rotary groups and MOA groups and things like that and I have to I have to impress upon the importance of capacity building and that is that you know it, I think it challenges us because because again we're going to be there's picking a python issue of veterans coming back and 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 they isolate they have the the issue of shame they have the issue of everything else that they don't want people to know they're having a problem and so they self-medicate. But what do we do when we first notice it? And the first people to notice it are the people that are around them, you know, in their family, uh, in their workplace, in their churches, and, you know, just the places they hang out. But because of our uncertainty, you know, because we don't know, and nobody's telling us what to do, uh, why they, they, they actually do nothing out of fear. 90% of the, of the families or veterans' families looking for help, their first stop, and I'll say 90% again, goes to the church, the local, you know, spiritual organizations say we need some help. So how are we informing our churches? How are we informing them? If 90% are going there, how are we educating them? What are we telling them that they need to know? And problem, and I think part of the challenge there for us, Dwayne, is, that, you know, they need to know where they can get the resources they need. And then in certain communities, they have awesome resources, amazing assets they can turn to, and others not so much. And right. so... There's a process uh, by which we have to be able to educate our, our spiritual leaders. We have to educate our community leaders. And, and we also have to give to our families. So, again, it's a capacity-building process by which we have to educate so many levels. It's a little daunting. But, again, VA can't do it all, and nor are they going to be able to – if they can't handle what they have, they're not going to be able to do the rest of it because that's taking them home all the way. And, again, our veterans' capacity, our, our need is far greater than our ability, so it has to come. It's going to be in our back door if we're not ahead of it, and it's going to be overwhelming us in our own back door if we're not ahead of it. And I and and you're you're exactly right, of course, uh, in that it is you know it is much on the families. A uh, a one of my veteran clients will spend an hour with me. You know, you your client will spend an hour and a half with you, and then they'll go home and spend the entire week. You know, so they got one hour a week with us or the rest of the week with their family and the family, you know, is, you know, it, it uh, I, I think, uh, in, in perhaps even, um, uh, Josh Kramer, who was, uh, who was, uh, he's a marriage family therapist. He was on episode 35, but he said that, you know, sort of like you, uh, you, you clean up the pig and then throw them back in the mud, right? You wipe <laughs> off all the, Absolutely. And, and, and so it, it does take some support with the family where of course we're limited by confidentiality and things like that. Sure. And and that's really the um, the goal, as you know, with with the blog, the Headspace and Timing blog, uh, and even this uh, this podcast is to be able to help family members understand what their veteran may be going through without the veteran having to tell them. You know, um, to to be able to say, you know, hey, this guy, you know, explained this in this way that I've not been able to tell you. And so I've had a sure. lot of that where spouses and even parents of veterans have read the blogs or listened to the podcasts mm -hmm. and said, I understand things differently now. Um, thank you for, for kind of sharing that perspective. Right. Um, but we as, as providers, we as mental health professionals, we don't do that enough to be able to get the message out to the communities. That, well, you're absolutely right, and it's and it's because we're handling our own stuff. We got our own, you know, we got clients knocking at the door, and we're dealing with the other things, and it's it, it's almost like we have to have just an education group doing this, and you know, the, you know, just a simplistic thing. How do you know the signs of depression? How do you aware that people are dealing with depression? And most of the time, people can't answer that. You know, it's one of one of early signs of of trauma and you know post traumatic stress, and you know, how, how are we able to discern that? And again, it, it comes back to the, the issue of shame and, and all that other language that comes on top of it because we really, everybody know Johnny's having trouble because Johnny's tough, you know, he's a, he's a soldier. And that we want Johnny to be tough too, 
but we also want Johnny to be resilient. We want to be able to, you know, draw on that skill set the, rightly. But we are their best asset because we're the front line for them. We're their front line when they come back. And in truth, you know, we teach these young men and women to go over and be willing to die for anything. But how do we bring them home and teach them to live for everything else? That's my greatest question. And that falls back right on us, you, me, and our families and our communities, to teach them what other relationships are about, that they can trust us and be there. We'll be there for them. And at whatever capacity they plug in, we have to be ready to start, be ready to lift them up and get them engaged rightly, but not with a bottle or alcohol and alcohol and drugs. And that's where we have to be very careful because they'll turn to that or turn to some escape mechanism soon if they can't get the relief they need, you know, socially. So, so what resources do you provide maybe um, to help that education aspect, to to help that understanding, um, it, it kind of what programs national maybe that you recommend? Well, there's several out there, you know, and there, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, I think that, you know, cause I'm, I'm like you, I'm kind of working in my local area, just trying to inform this area. I live in Southern Georgia and it's an amazing community with wonderful people that are willing to help and they love their veterans here. And that's, that's great. And, uh, um, I, I kind of live in an isolated part of the of, of Georgia, so I actually find myself doing a lot of the footwork myself. There's some folks out there, and I'm going to mention a, a couple. I can't, I don't know where Dave Smith is from. He's out of Virginia or Tennessee, I think, but he does have the whole program similar to that that informs churches and informs hospitals and informs groups. And you know, that was one of the first experiences I had with it, and then that's just been a carryover for me. Uh, Colonel Dave Smith is a retired chaplain now of the Army, and I, again, I don't know exactly what the name of his ranch is off the top of my head, but I can follow up with you on that. But ultimately, um, you know, we have this capability that right here from our informed knowledge, you and me, to work in our community and inform them, and then hopefully we build up some contagion in that. A lot of the programs out there do great for weekend things. Uh, you know, we we'll give them a T-shirt, give them a good meal, but after that, it kind of falls off the edge because there's no follow-up. There has to be a follow-up program. There has to be something that keeps people engaged so that we can continue moving forward. But also we have to spread it out. We have to get them to then step up to the plate and be part of the solution, not just, you know, just not part of the problem over and over again. Ultimately, we get people engaged that way. We have to, it's almost like MLM, to be honest with you, a multi-level marketing campaign. But the more we know, the more we can share, and everybody should be sharing it. Uh, Nationally, I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know of any off the top of my head other than what you're doing on an amazing level with LinkedIn. But uh, And I'm not a Facebooker, so I can't really speak to that program or what people are doing there. But I know what you're doing is informing very well. And, you know, we just keep plugging at it. But unfortunately, that's all we have is to plug at it because there's nothing really driving people other than necessity. And necessity sometimes gets us there. But if you don't know about it, you you know your necessity will land short sometimes. Right, and I mean, and it, and it is uh, everything really is local. I mean, obviously, what works in uh, in Southern Georgia um, would be different than what works here, in in similar in many respects, but then again, different um, because of the community here in Colorado Springs, um, and mm-hmm. even for us, in uh, it, it would be the difference. I think for you, um, what works in Atlanta doesn't work in Macon. Right. Just because right. of the, the, the size of the community. For me, what works on the front range of Colorado um, will not work in the Central Mountains um, just because of the same rural aspects and things like that. So, you know, it's there's there's different different things that are similar and then very different. So it's right. great that you brought well, that out. Right. And I think, Dwayne, that there's an opportunity here for us, to think, you know, locally, nationally at the same time. And I think that we. You know, I, I think that we haven't really developed, you know, this national program or this, you know, local, regional, national level program that people are operating off of something that operates or helps, you know, the veteran and the family. And let's just say, you know, you know, uh, Sergeant, you know, Smith retires and he, and, he, and he steps in, he's looking for his veteran service officer, just veteran, his local veteran office. And he usually goes to the courthouse or he fishes around one of the annexes until he finally finds a guy and he, you know, gets all the insight he needs to get, you know, plugged in as a civilian and in the community. But what if there's someplace different? What if there's a place where a veteran and his family could step into and get the help they need at every level? You know, where all those resources were centered. 
you know, and I'm not talking about a VA hospital. I'm talking about a VA center. That's not a veterans administration, but a vet center where a veteran could get the help they need, but the process really forced the process a lot of assessment, a lot of us to understand where he and his family were on their path. How far down the path are they? Are they mature? Have they got jobs already? Are they well adjusted? Are they do they know where they're going? Do they have a plan financially, et cetera, et cetera? You're able to assess all that, get them in school if they need to, mom, kids, you know, dad, everybody, get them connected where they need to. But oftentimes we send them out too fast, too early. We'll send them to a program, yellow ribbon or something like that, and they, you know, lipstick up their resume and they start firing out everybody they know and come to find out, you know, they're not speaking the same language. They're at the wrong level of job because, you know, organizations don't understand that, you know, a superintendent is a, you know, is a high level position. They just think it's a guy that, you know, uh, that, that does something else, you know, not quite the level they expect because they don't always understand the language, the translation level, or the, the, the family's having emotional trouble and nobody's really identified yet. They haven't had a chance to talk about it or, or whatever reason. So there's no identification steps. So they're going to fail trying to get in the community and we're not stopping the failure ahead of time. We're not getting upstream from any of this stuff. We're just trying to plug as many as we can in and letting the failures occur. And we've got to find a way to get ahead of that because when they fail, we fail. And ultimately we hurt them in their failure because we didn't prepare them well enough. We didn't educate them. We didn't stop for a second and take a breath. You know, we didn't process well enough in the intake or in the, in the processing stuff to say, wait a minute, Maybe you need a little more training over here. Maybe they need to look at your resume a little harder. And there's lots of people out there willing to plug in in the communities, and all you have to do is ask. Uh, you know, just like there's, you know, the, the SCORE program for the Better Business program, why isn't there a retiree group that's helping, you know, veterans uh, kind of transition into the into this program? I think it's a valid concern, but we're, I don't know if we're there yet. I, I just think there has to be something bigger and stronger for us to step into, and it can't just be this, you know, this quilt work of people within a community. It has to be something very intentional, very focused at how do you, how does a family get connected, a veteran family or an individual? How do they, what do we do with them? You know, once they found the house and got the school plugged in, then what? We always have to answer the then what question, but we want it to be a then what and a success, not a then what and a failure and then another failure. As soon or later, we're going to find them in a, in a, in a very uncomfortable spot. Yeah, ramble like that, but yeah. yeah, no, I think that, uh, and typically it's more like failure and then what? Like the failure comes before the question um, rather than, you know, the question and the failure. Uh, and and it, this is something that, and this has struck me um, since you and I have talked, uh, I think even several months ago it was. We did. And um, some of the program, in um, one phrase that you had said then, and, and correct me if my faulty memory, uh, but you said that, Yes, with yes, helping with resumes. Yes, helping with, um, you know, clothing, but beginning and end with mental wellness in mind that knowing that regardless if a veteran comes in or a veteran family comes in and says, I'm in need, that you don't just jump at solving that need. You say, "Okay, we'll solve that need. And ultimately, we're going to get you in front of a mental health professional to really help you dig down to what the what the root cause of this is. Um, Absolutely. And your approach there, I think, um, and, and that's something that I'll be honest with you, Reg, I've used it probably six or seven times since I said that, that that's, it, where, that's where we need to get is to say we need to begin yeah. and end with mental wellness, mental health, okay. mental, you know, with, with therapy in mind. Not everybody needs mm-hmm. therapy. Absolutely. However, right. it can benefit people either in the short term or even the long term if we uncover right. things. You don't know if you don't ask, but you don't know if you don't assess either. If you're not looking for it, I mean, and, and what I mean is, is just say it's just an intake person. Uh, you know, I don't mean to simplify any job, so please just bear with me as I, I give the analogy. You know, uh, you, know you, you take somebody just as an intake person, a receptionist, you know, and, and they take them as they do it, fill out the form, sit down, and then, you know, what do they notice and what are they being informed with in this person? And is there something, you know, that we should be looking out for? And, you know, there should be this process that just, just affords us the opportunity to gain insight. So we then, you know, not as mental health professionals, but as just, you know, the people handling them are aware that their health is important. And, and it's okay to say I'm stressed. It's okay to say that I'm having trouble getting a handle. 
because it's when they don't say it that bothers me most and it should bother all of us. And that with the mental health in mind at front and the back end, are you okay is a good question. Are you okay with this? What, what can we do next for you? How can we connect you in a way or how can we make difference for you in this? And it really helps them get to the answers they need, but we have to be open to their desire and their ability to name their pro their, if there either is a problem or a challenge that they face. And, you know, as you know, as well as I do, it's not always 50 sessions of therapy that's going to help. It's usually one and two. And the, and the, it, it, it really, you'd be surprised. People really don't, don't know that it's not 50. It's two, three, four, you know, most you ever get lucky. If you're lucky, it's five, but that's because, you know, it's, it's just processing. It's, it's just simple. Two or three is usually all it ever takes. It's just to get a, a different perspective. Yeah. And it's not Freud on the couch. We're not going to sit here and no. do psychoanalysis for the next three years. No. Um, it, that, that, uh, that it absolutely can be very, you know, quick or, you know, and, and, you know, not necessarily painless. Yes, it can be challenging, but then so was sure. Afghanistan and so was yeah, basic training exactly. or boot camp. Um, but, but I think that takes a, that will take a shift in mindset where for, for everybody, anyone who's working to support veterans just to say, my solution may not be the only solution that the veteran needs. You alluded to it before. I said, well, I, I polish up your resume and then as long as you get a job, you will be okay. Um, then, mm. that that's not always the case that nah. instead of mental health being an item off of the menu that you might get, if you ask for it, that it become a foundation, that it's the foundational piece. Absolutely. It's the central aspect that everyone is thinking, where is this veteran's mental health? Not, are they mentally ill? Because that's a totally different, nah. you know, mindset, right. but, but how are they on the mental, uh, on their mental health and wellness? Um, and, and are there signs that I can see that would cause them to, to maybe be less functional, you know, Hey, you know, substance use is an issue. Okay. I don't need to worry about that, but I am pretty bored and I, I'm, I'm, I, I hate this sucky job sweeping up sawdust right. in the sawmill. Well, that's a purpose and meaning thing. And, you know, right. understanding, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. Well, you, you know, Dwayne, I, I, I got to say this, and, and just so you and I both are aware of it, you know, we never want to confuse the symptomology with a disease. Of course, people are stressed when they're transitioning. Of course, people have challenges when they're coming off a rotation. You know, those things are normal. They're expected. That doesn't mean someone's ill. That just means they're stressed. Stress is an everyday occurrence. Uh, and we didn't, and, and you, you and I know this, but we need, you know, this needs to be inform our culture as a narrative that, you know, because people come off, doesn't mean, uh, come off tour or, or separate from active duty or otherwise, doesn't mean they have, they're ill, just means they are transitioning and it's a stressful time. Sometimes just mental health will help you keep it in perspective, but it doesn't mean illness. It just means we're stressed. Who's not stressed, you know, driving town for five minutes, you get stressed with a guy chasing up the light sort of thing. So you just have to be aware that not everything is a mental illness. It's just stress. Stress is a, is a challenging thing. And, and I, I think the, it, what you're talking about definitely of, you know, getting the foundation or moving things ahead, I get the sense that, that we're, we're or even community or other veterans are expecting veterans to come out having mastered skill level one tasks. And we, we, pass right. them on to skill level two, three, and four. So right. uh, for the audience who may not be uh, familiar um, with, with this aspect of the military is uh, at, at each rank or grade level, especially uh, it, speaking on the enlisted side, we have certain level of basic tasks. We call them skill level one tasks. And so, you know, uh, privates through specialists should master these tasks and skill level two tasks or the next level up. And so you get advanced tasks. And so we talk about different skill levels. Reg, I'm not wondering if we're, we're expecting somebody to get out and do uh, an interview with a resume and dress properly for the resume. That's kind of three separate skill level two tasks that we're not sure if they've really mastered the skill level one task of, of, of communication. Absolutely. And, you know, again, assessment, 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 when in doubt, ask and verify. And, and it's just to be able to go through that because 
you know as well as I do, when we practice these things, we get a chance to prove ourselves. If I'm proving myself to you, you're really not going to give me a job, but I've had a chance to walk through it, not only emotionally and, and verbally, but in reality. And, and you get a chance to give me some feedback so I don't make the mistake down the road or make those mistakes. And that's a little humility thing, but it's really necessary because, you know, and let's just say, you know, Mr. Manager out there, Mr. HR guy, whoever's doing the interviewing is looking for a set of things and has a preconceived idea about what veterans are, which you don't know. And you, you may not even know how you got it. So you then have to be able to, you know, be articulate, be informed, but also be the best you you can be. And, and, and I mean, be the best you, not the best Dwayne or Rez, but be the best you you are. And we want to grow on that. We're going to use that to your advantage. So when you step in, you're authentic, you're real, and you're not trying to play anything. You're just trying to be the best you you can be. And those skill sets that you learn at one and two and three, et cetera, are, are informers uh, of that. But they, they don't always translate well. And uh, we just have to be able to, to teach that on, on our end. And, and I um, have often said, and I think you and I have had these conversations, the fact that, it, it, of course, it should start, um, you know, whenever they're in the service. And, and you know, again, not to, to bang the gong, but um, yeah. in, in uh, transition assistance programs, they don't talk about mental health and wellness. They don't talk about the no. need to make sure that uh, – you know, understanding how frustrating it may be not to get your needs met or even explain what moral injury is or, or give the family resources, you know? And and so they, again, with, with, when I went through transition assistance program back in 2014, um, it was a week of fire hose and then, you know, sort of out on your own. That's exactly, that's when I went through it too, Dwayne. And I, I can say that, you know, I've learned so much about what I didn't know then since then, it really overwhelms me and, and think, well, what a waste of my whole time. I, I already had a resume, so and that's what I was thinking when I was there. You know, we and I, I, I think especially on on several levels, there's there's great writers out there, great informed people, and I think of Pete Kilner right now. You know, he talks about moral injury a lot and, and you know ethic ethics injury, but I, I, I think that we need to be aware that those things are, are out there and we have to be operating from an understanding that there are that, you know, we don't know where they're coming from. And if we're not thinking of mental illness on either side of this, then, you know, we could be missing some, some, some really prime real estate time to, to fix or deal with some of that ahead of time before they get fully out. And, but everybody's afraid of something ending up on the record. That's always the number one fear. And I don't know how to get past that other than take the stigma off. And that's way above my pay grade. Well, sure. And I think a lot of it is these conversations, obviously, that this uh, particular one that you and I are having now or the 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 extended conversation that you and I and others are having on on social media and just having these conversations to be able to say, you know, it's it's you can be successful uh, and uh, and also, um, you know, be struggling with something and they're not right. mutually exclusive. And, and it's simply a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, it, they can be something together and they can almost inform each other. Um, right. I, I'm not sure if you had seen back in uh, January is this, this episode uh, is, is going to be airing in, in like March, I believe. Um, okay. But in January, Michael Phelps had just recently um, uh, spoke to a conference in Chicago. Did you see that? I did. I said, you just posted that recently. Again, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I saw that. And, and so the idea of Michael Phelps, uh, coming out in a very public way and acknowledging that, and, and of course, everybody had seen his, uh, you know, his gaffes after, you know, that smoking weed and, and all of these other things. <laughs> um, but then he, Everybody saw that that was the very public place, but then he pulled the, the the veil back and say, after each Olympics, I I was in severe depression, even to the point of suicidal ideation. Um, I believe, yeah. and, and this is a guy who who is the winningest Olympic medalist in in world history, and and if any measure of success can be called success, it is his. And yet he's saying, I struggled with some of the worst depression, of course, for his life. But right. but but it sounds, 
and even you and I as mental health professionals, we say, well, of course that is because, you know, the, the extreme high and now I'm low and what is my purpose and meaning and what do you think about one, somebody as, as public as um, a public figure as Michael Phelps coming out talking about that and then just sort of that situation? Well, I, I think it's amazing, first off. I, you know, for people to come out and talk about, you know, the, the struggles they have with, with depression, anxiety, and otherwise, you know, we really can't talk about it enough because it's a real challenge. In our fast-paced world, the expectations are always high. And we even put them on ourselves because we have our own language with expectation. You think about, you know, the world's winningest athlete having depression, you know, we logically think it doesn't make sense. But in truth, it makes perfect sense. You don't win without putting expectations on yourself. You don't get that way without, you know, making choices that are sacrificial and taking opportunities that are also sacrificial. And, and when you don't meet the, meet the expectation, you're going to get a little depressed. But that's, you know, and, and, and we're just dealing with daily life. He's dealing with things in a whole other arena. And for them, to, for, you know, for uh, Michael Phelps to come out and talk about it that way it, it is, is a blessing, one. And two, something that we should be informed from, that we should take those opportunities in to talk about it even in our own house and around our own table and, you know, uh, at our dinner table. And otherwise, you know, we need to start a dialogue that talks about what that means for us. And, uh, you know, they, by him doing it, it invites, invites it into the conversation. And just like you've talked about it, you know, when was the last time you walked up a friend of yours that, you know, you hadn't talked to in a while and say, hey, uh, haven't seen you in a while, man, uh, you know, let's talk about, uh, did you hear about Michael Phelps? Or, you know, because it's such a, a it gives you a segue into talk about depression, and even maybe your own sometimes. If you don't, and we're just still part of the problem because we're holding those secrets too. You know, we got to be able to talk about that in a way that that honors, you know, the 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 help that we can get if uh, if, if we share. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I even think back to um, uh, 2017 um, when uh, Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, um, you know, died by suicide. And it mm-hmm. opened up, the, and then I think it was Chester Bennington after that, you know, months after that. And it opened up a national conversation again. All of a sudden, people were talking about it. Um, and, and yes, and it did open up conversations with veterans. Um, and, and, you know, there's this idea of high profile, you know, um, you, know you don't know the name of the veterans that, that uh, took their own lives in the same day Chris Cornell did. But it does open up the, the conversation um, it's just how do we sustain that conversation and make it more normalized? Exactly what you're talking about is is what I'm trying to do is make talking about veteran mental health as common as talking about the weather. How's the weather sure. up there? How's you know how, how how's your mood today? Are you in a good place? Is, you know, no, actually, no, I'm Absolutely. not. It's you know, and and not with a stranger on the street, but with your brother and with your uncle and with your friend. Absolutely. You know, we, we don't end the conversation assuming anything. We end the conversation with our own dialogue and our own meaning so people can join it or not. And we don't assume every veteran's got a problem. We just assume that there are problems within the, within the culture, within the population, just like in a regular population. And as you and I talk about veterans issues, you know, suicide, suicide is an ideology in every group we know, just like depression is, just like anxiety is just like trauma is it's in every group. So as much as it's a veteran issue, it's a, it's, it's, it's a culture issue and we just need to be able to accept that. And then, you know, within our own groups, create a way to speak to it, create a way that it becomes part of the discussion. And then it becomes not a veteran issue. It's really a cultural issue. And, and yes, I, I think there does in, in many places are, are trying to change the conversation about uh, mental health in general, of course, you and I specifically focusing on veteran mental health. You had mentioned uh, Given Hour uh, before, um, yeah. and the natural national platform that they have. Um, they have the uh, the campaign to change direction, where um, they're they're getting into um, again community awareness. The you know helping people understand the the signs of of healthy habits and emotional well being and I'll I'll make sure to put the uh, the link to that in the show notes um, yeah but yeah. but it's to be able to help people to just to to make it as normal as it actually is that's the problem is is it is so commonplace 
um, but it's also hidden, and that which is hidden um, is is not going to be um, taken care of. It's dangerous, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, you know, we 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 just have a culture now where just you know, I talk about expectations all the time, and you know, all those all those things that just interfere with just routine, and we don't perform or we underperform or you know, uh, our cultures now where you can, you know, kind of slam people whenever you want. And, you know, so we just know there's lots of triggers and we have to be secure in ourselves, And we have to know that our purpose is more than some of those expectations and some of those things and being healthy within yourself is part of that. And, you know, that comes from our, from our community, that comes from our tribe. It comes from the people we hang out with and knowing but just a simple question, are you okay? Can I help? Can we do anything? Can we be connected? What can we do? And that reassurance defends or defeats actually, you know, those, those, those naysayers out there and those expectations that we have that, you know, that, that uh, we didn't meet a certain objective or a goal. Well, you know, those are all man-made things and we only operate as best we can. As soon as we're doing our best, we just have to be able to live with that. But that also is a, is a language that we have to be able able to work from and uh, be able to talk to and be able to connect on uh, within our own tribes and, 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 and social groups. And I think absolutely, Reg, I mean, uh, definitely within the tribe, but also uh, developing uh, more tribes, you know, or, or mm. you know, bringing people into the tribe. Um, you know, right. uh, you know, we've had. Uh, guests on the show who were mental health professionals who were not um, veterans, um, right. and and they have taken the time to learn and understand and even come and develop and 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 it's about growing the understanding bigger. It's not about being exclusive and you know and and uh, you know twenty five acres in South Georgia and we're just going to make a stand and nobody can come in and nobody can come out. That's that's not being. That's that's not no. making a tribe. That's being isolationist. Instead, Absolutely. we need to help others understand. And there's a need for veterans to help step into the 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 gap, the divide, and be willing to help civilians, those who had never served. I don't even like using the word civilians, but those who had never served understand more about their service. That, that that's right, Dwayne. And you know, it's being able to expand our social circles. You know, beyond just our veteran tribes or our community, in a church organization, you know, a, a veteran can be a great informer within his own church organization or within his Boy Scout troop or within, you know, uh, without whatever groups he's involved in, whether it be Lions Club or uh, uh, Rotary or, or uh, even his, uh, you know, I, I was at a BFW meeting the other night and, and I'm 55 and I was the youngest guy there by 15 years. Right. The next guy was 70. Right. So, there's an opportunity here in our community for us as veterans to go to these meetings and get engaged because there's a wealth of information, a wealth of opportunity right in our community. And that's through connection, finding opportunities and connecting. It may require one night a month to go to the meeting or whatever, but it's an opportunity to stay connected and be informed because right now, as you know, the World War II veterans are, are you know, are, are, are dying off fast. Uh, sadly, that's just uh uh, what way it is, but now our Vietnam veterans and those folks, you know, that have gone through many of the trials that we're working through already and successfully gone through them are out there willing to help and show path. And we're not leaning into some of that heritage that we have at that level either. You know, we're leaning in the guys that, you know, have, have been to, you know, Iraq three times and, or two times and, or Afghanistan. And, you know, we kind of recycle that, but there's a wealth of information we haven't even plugged into us just yet. So no, uh, we need to not lose track of that. That, that is an excellent, um, an excellent point, Reg. We can't complain about the system and not engage in the system to make it change. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the veterans of, of our generation, and, and granted, you and I, you know, careerists um, that, uh, you know, that, that recently got out. Um, right. You know, but I'm in my 40s. Uh, and, and if I don't step out and, and start making a change, then, you know, it, it's not going to happen. Uh, as I've said before, and you know that that we have the potential to be this century's greatest generation. This, you know, we have the numbers certainly nowhere near uh, sure. World War II numbers, but uh, amplifying our voice by the platform of of podcasting and internet and social right. media. But we 
we have the ability and the responsibility we have to accept that um, because right. if we don't, we can be much more like the World War One generation, kind of <laughs> lost and uncertain and, and, and just kind of, you know, not really very effective. It's funny that you mentioned the VFW because I went to my local um, uh, VA recently to engage in a, um, a veterans advocacy panel and I was the youngest in that room by at least 25 years, um, you know, and, and, yeah. it's, and, and even they said, they, they turned to me and they said, how can we get more veterans of, of your era in here? Um, you know, right. and, and, you know, and, and some of it is, of course, you know, careers and lives and second, you know, but, but others is we, we can't just shake the fist at the system and expect right. it to, to change if we don't turn our fist into an open hand and, and kind of, you know, get to work. Absolutely. That is absolutely true, Dwayne. And, you know, I, you, you bring up the World War II veterans and stuff like that, but, you know, this is a different time because technology has made our, has given us opportunity for our force to be smaller. We operate a little differently, you know, back, back in World War II era, you know, we mobilized the nation and went to war for, you know, a couple of three years. And, uh, I'm not going to embarrass myself and say five, six or four or three, whatever it was, uh, I think I know, but uh, the point is, is that we've been at war now for 17, you know, and, and going on 17 anyway. And because we've been at war for this long, you know, it's a generational issue. So we don't go to war together and then come back together and go work at the factory together like they did from World War II. You know, we have generational issues here where, you know, where our population base isn't as, the, you know, a smaller portion of our population base is gone. And, and uh, you know, back then you couldn't throw a rock at your front door and not hit a veteran. Now you can throw many rocks out your front door and not hit a veteran for miles. And that's, that's the challenge we face. And uh, so that common connectedness that we talk about, the things that we lean into, or I speak a lot about at the Trisman, you know, was common in the, in the 40s coming out of World War II. And, uh, and now, not so much, because those often are, or our veterans don't even speak of it. They just stay quiet. And we need, we really need their engagement. We need them to be part of this and, and help. And I'm not say do all the heavy lifting. Just, just acknowledge yourself, acknowledge us so that we connect. And people say, well, I don't want to join another organization. Hey, it's one night a month and the dues are so simply cheap. <laughs> you know, it's not like it's good. Uh, it actually, it's a community builder because they often these, these BFW organizations, uh, American legions, they invest in the community constantly trying to create space and, and, and scholarships. And many of the kid, veterans' kids have, are eligible for those scholarships if they apply. You know, there's a bigger reason in some of this, not to mention they help with the benefits on the Hill uh, tirelessly uh, you know, help us get some of those benefits that we get from the VA. So we just, just be mindful that it's more than just, you know, meeting some old guys in a room. There's a lot of work going on in the background that we could certainly benefit from. And not only that, but be part of to help that next generation coming in, our sons and daughters. Yeah, no, and, and absolutely. And it is going to come because, uh, you know, it, it's uh, um, as you said, this is the first cross-generational war uh, in American history. Um, and and it seems to, to not be on many people's radar. Uh, but a lot of no. it has to do with with having these conversations. And, and this is this has been a really great one, Reg. I, I really appreciate <laughs> Uh, so if, if, um, if, you know, listeners want to hear more about what you're doing, um, and, and connect with you, uh, where can they find you sort of on the web and social media? Well, social media is the best place, LinkedIn. And, and, you know, you can post my email on there. I'm fine with that. People told me an email, uh, I'm, I'm happy to visit. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's important we keep the dialogue going. I think we have to continue to talk about this and, and, uh, I, I, I just don't know of another way to make change. And social media certainly gets the word out fast, but it's actually us, not me and you, but us collectively doing the things, making the connections and taking the first step. And sometimes that, you know, to use a Bill Heibel term, you know, walk across the room, you got to be able to walk across the room and ask the question, how can I help you? Can, are you okay? You know, and you got to get uncomfortable when, I've been accused of being friendly as a wet dog, and that's okay. I'd rather be known as being too friendly than not. So. <laughs> well, uh, well, I appreciate you bringing the wet dog into this particular room, Reg. And, uh, and as always, um, great connecting with you, great having a conversation with you, and uh, look forward to hearing more from you in the future. No problem, Thank you. 
You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. That was a great conversation. As I mentioned several times during this episode, Reg's goals and the goals we have here on the show and the Headspace and Timing blog are very similar, changing the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. The more awareness we have, the greater chance that a veteran will reach out for the support that they need. Since Reg and I talked, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine released a report detailing a study of the Department of Veterans Affairs mental health care system. I talked about that report back in episode 45 with Dr. Alicia Caraquiri. One of the major findings in that report was that current era veterans who have significant others, family members, and friends who support their seeking treatment are much more likely to use VA health care services than veterans without such support. That supports what Reg was talking about here in this episode. The family is at the core of veteran mental health. Unfortunately, it's also one of the first things impacted by the significant deployment times caused by the current conflicts. The RAND Corporation has conducted research into both divorce rates and marriage satisfaction, as both of them are impacted by deployments. Experiencing one or more deployments is associated with decreased marital satisfaction, but that decrease is mostly accounted for by the aftermath of trauma experienced by service members during the deployment. In other words, the more deployments that a service member has and the more exposure to traumatic events during those deployments, the lower the marital satisfaction. One of the other findings, though, is that military marriages that remain intact appear to adapt to the demands of deployment, learning as the months pass and over repeated deployments, how to prevent the experience from inflicting increasing damage to their relationships. I'll provide a link to this research in the show notes if you're interested in looking that up. The bottom line up front, the family impacts and is impacted by veteran mental health. It's a team sport, and the greater awareness that we have, the better that we'll play the game. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the show. Now that you're here, make sure that you stick around by subscribing on your podcast player of choice. If you're not sure how to do that, drop me a line at duane at veteranmentalhealth.com. I'm always interested in hearing what you think about the show, what you think we should talk about, what you think we shouldn't talk about. Make sure you spell it the right way. D-U-A-N-E. You can find the show notes for this episode and all the episodes by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com or ChangeYourPOV.com. Sign up for updates on either and both so that you don't miss another episode. While you're at it, check out the other great shows in the Change Your POV podcast network. Changing Hearts and Minds with my buddy Special Forces Weapon Sergeant Jeff Adamick. The show about outdoor adventures that veterans love so much, Neo Fight in the Woods with Andrew McDowell. And of course our flagship show, hosted by Eddie Lazary and Bennett Tanton. If you're looking for the total package for all the information you need to live the life you want after leaving the military, you found it on the Change Your POV podcast network. Stick around for next week's show where I hit an important milestone with this show, the 50th episode. For a podcast, the 50th episode is sort of the mark where things either start to get established or start to drop off. We're just getting started here, but it's a good chance to look around, see how far we've come, and look forward to see where we're going. I want to thank Doc Todd for his permission to use this track, Not Alone, from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc Todd is someone who's trying to bring veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can get the album by going to therealdoctod.com. Check it out, because remember, veterans, you're not alone, ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone, weeds overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability
eyes. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.